So chapter three begins, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering into the temple. Alms were just asking for money during that time. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. We're gonna skip down to verse 12, but people were amazed. People were wondering, how could this happen? In 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from amongst the people." like being released from prison, like having a weight lifted off of your shoulders is a lot of the responses that Frank Warren receives from his website, postsecret.com. This website was started out of an art project that Frank was doing where he was asking people to write in on a postcard anonymously all the secrets that they've been keeping stored in their life and to drop it in the mailbox. He would collect all of these secrets and then he would post them in some sort of collage. Well, between December of when he started this art project to the, sum, to the summer of the following year, he had received over 50,000 anonymous responses of people confessing some of their most intimate and dark secrets. He said one thread that kept people from sharing what was on their heart publicly, what kept people from admitting these secret sins was the overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame. 
Guilt and shame was motivating these people to live in this isolated type prison. For most of these people, that was driving their lives and they were living somewhat in a state of lying. Some cards uh, dealt with very silly things that people were keeping into them to very dark things. Here's a couple. This card read, I don't care about recycling, but I pretend I do. This card read, I took psychedelic mushrooms at Disney and I was having a bad trip. Goofy, the man dressed in the Goofy costume, recognized that he was having a bad trip and Goofy sued this man during his bad mushroom experience. Can you imagine tripping and Goofy being the one to care for you? I wouldn't tell anybody that secret either. Frank said, Frank Warren, he's the creator of this website, he had this phenomenal quote. It should be on the screen. Listen to this. Sometimes we believe we are keeping a secret, but it's likely that the secret is keeping us. Isn't it ironic that acknowledging what we are burying deep down inside of us Isn't it ironic that when we actually put life to the darkness that we are trying to keep others from seeing, when we confess the sin of our failures, that that brings freedom? Isn't it ironic? Well, imagine letting go of years and years of guilt and shame and confessing your secrets, not anonymously, but actually owning your sins. Imagine owning it and saying that you did it, saying that you have willfully done those things because you thought it was the right thing to do in that time. And as you confess, find perfect, perfect forgiveness. Imagine the freedom that that brings. Well, this is the refreshment. This is the freedom that God promises us when we repent of our sins to Jesus. The text reveals that to us, but it begs the question primarily, how in the world is repentance refreshing? How in the world is repentance refreshing? We'll answer that in two ways. First, repentance acknowledges problems. Repentance acknowledges problems. And then secondly, Repentance receives help. So acknowledging problems and receiving help. In verses one through eight, we find here, Peter and John are walking together to church and along the way, they see this man born with a physical exceptionality that kept his feet and ankles from developing completely. Put yourself in this man's uh, position, if you will, spending your entire life from birth, having people carry you from place to place, depending on others to pick you up and lay you before a gate so that you can lay in the dirt and ask people to provide you with enough money and provisions to survive. It's fair to assume that this man felt like he was living in a type of prison people carrying you places, people not wanting to look at you. But by God's grace, this man crossed paths with Peter and John and God plans on performing a miracle 
for him, through all those people to see. So while going through the motions, Peter sees this man and he looks at him and he says, look at us. He says, look at us. This is no throwaway point. In Roman culture, when a child was born with any sort of physical exceptionality or mental exceptionality, they were uh, left in the woods to fend for themselves. And a lot of every time, those infants would not survive. If they did survive, they were treated like this man. They were treated as though they were subhuman and they were treated as though they were cursed by the gods. This man has had his dignity destroyed. Somehow that he's subhuman and Peter looks at him and the first thing he does is acknowledge this man's dignity by saying, look at us. Peter tells him as he's making eye contact, he says, I don't have any money, but what I do have, have I'm gonna give it to you. What I do have, I'm gonna give it freely, and it's Jesus himself. And in the name of Jesus, he calls this man to rise up and walk. And here this man is faced with two choices. Do I listen to this strange man, Peter, talking about this man, Jesus, do I listen and in faith respond to this or do I hear what he's offering me? Do I deny it and continue to stay in the position that I'm in? What's happening in this scene? What's happening here is a picture of what repentance is. To repent means to change direction. It means you're walking one direction and you turn around. And when we add the biblical layer on this, it means that you turn from following your former life. You stop following the course of this world. You stop following in your sinful path and you turn around and you pursue Jesus. That is what biblical repentance is. It's turning from your sin to positively turning to Jesus and following him. To be able to do this, then, the first step is to acknowledge that you even have a problem. Look at this man here. Notice as he's interacting with Peter, he doesn't try to act like a problem doesn't exist. This man clearly understands the state that he's in. He clearly understand that, understands that he is in need of help. There's a deep irony here. We have this situation with Peter and this man, and then we have this sermon that Peter preaches. There's an irony that exists here because the man that Peter was speaking to was in better shape than the people that Peter was preaching to. This man was living in reality. He understood that he was a person that needed help. And Peter is using this miracle to call the Jews and the Romans to repentance because he said that they were living in ignorance. He was using this scene to call these people to repentance because they needed something much greater than physical healing. They needed to learn a lesson from this man and find faith and freedom and forgiveness and spiritual healing in the person and work of Jesus. This man was living in light of truth, and those listening to Peter were living in complete ignorance, refusing to accept reality. Peter doesn't mince words here. Peter verified their ignorance in verse 17. It says, and now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. What ignorance, though? What's the ignorance that Peter's referring to in this text? Look at verses 14 and 15. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this, we are all witnesses. It doesn't get much more willfully ignorant than killing Jesus, does it? What's being revealed here to us? What's being revealed is repentance is the ability to accept all truth, whether or not you believe it is true. No matter how hard it is to swallow and digest, this is the beginning of freedom, is believing objectionable truth. And the other side, the other reality to live in is ignorance. Ignorance is living life not knowing you're wrong. This is all of us. Somebody had to teach us that we were wrong at some point so we don't continue to do ignorant things. But notice the tragedy of what living in ignorance produces. For the Jews and for the Romans, even Peter himself denied the author of life and they killed Jesus. They were moving from just general ignorance to willful ignorance. Think about all of the truths that they had. Think about all of the life that they experienced in light of who Jesus was. They had all of the prophecy of the Old Testament. They had all of the Old Testament scriptures. They had Jesus born before them, teaching them, performing miracle after miracle. Despite all of that, despite all of that, they chose a murderer. They chose to kill the author of life and asked in replacement of the author of life, one who was in prison for destroying life. This church, this is the pinnacle of sinful, willful ignorance. It's the regular exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And Peter is using this interaction with this man who's been healed, who's following them, and he's coming to these people who have seen and witnessed Jesus' resurrection itself, and he's shaking them and trying to wake them up. And for all of us, this is a wake-up call for us as well. This should grab us. This call to repentance first first recognizes the truth that there is a problem in every single one of our lives that's not caused by someone else outside of us. It is deep down in our DNA and it's caused, called sin. To accept truth, you need to understand that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You were born into this world and from your very DNA have been corrupted by sin, but acknowledging it and refusing to live as its servant any longer. You wake up and realize, okay, I've got this problem called sin, and now I want to receive a solution. You see, you can start moving in the right direction once you realize, hey, I'm not on the right path 
to start with. This is precisely what's happening with Peter and this man. Peter tells the man, he says, rise up and walk. And instead of continuing to stay in prison, in faith, get this part, despite the only reality this man has ever known, despite his entire way of life, morning through evening, 24-7, 365, the reality that this man has known, despite the fear of the unknown, he clings to Peter. And the promised Jesus, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. What he is doing is accepting the reality of his condition And when we're able to accept the reality of our condition, it's only then that we're able to receive help. In 1985, 56 people were killed when a fire broke out in the stands of a soccer match in England. 56 people killed. There was a soccer game going on. There was a fire that broke out. And when they were watching the TV footage, they noticed that people were still watching the game and simultaneously watching the fire, not wanting to leave, thinking they could manage this, and 56 people ended up dying from it. Now, if you're anything like me and you say, well, that's just dumb British people, right? We're Americans. We would never do something so dumb, right? It's biscuits, and biscuits are not cookies, right? Before we would chalk it up just being Brits, Research has also showed that uh, when emergencies happen, people tend to wait for clues before they start moving. In Beverly Hills, a fire broke out in a restaurant and people were watching the fire and watching the blaze happen, but they were like, I can't leave until I pay the bill. People died waiting in line to pay the bill. Now, before we chalk that up, well, that's just California people in Beverly Hills. We wouldn't do that. Listen to this quote from Dr. Stephen Gross commenting on the above tragedies. He says, after 25 years as a psychoanalyst, I can't say that this surprises me. We resist change. Committing ourselves to a small change, even one that is unmistakably in our best interest, is often more frightening than ignoring a dangerous situation. We don't want an exit if we don't know exactly where it's going to take us, even or perhaps especially in an emergency. We want to know the new story before stepping Uh, that we're stepping into before we exit the old one. This is our lives. This is us. This is what life is like without repentance. It's holy warning signs all around you, alarms going off in your conscience with people God has put in your place, in your life. It's warning signs all around you that something's wrong. And living like this means you just close your eyes and ears and somehow think you're going to manage and you refuse to reach out to Jesus to rescue you. Do you see the signs in your life that you're heading down a bad path, 
and you're refusing to acknowledge the danger and the signs, the smoke and the fire and the flames and people screaming to you and you're conscious within you. Do you recognize this? Now, I'm gonna get very personable here. I'm gonna get very, very down to earth with these next application questions. I'm asking this with zero judgment. I'm asking this as somebody who's just got to ask the question. This is not me judging you. This is me loving you and asking you to think critically about this. Here's how this looks very practically for us. Are you in a relationship with someone who's physically or emotionally hurting you or your kids? And you're choosing to stay in this relationship because you're scared of what life looks like outside of everything you've ever known. If you're at home or if you're here and this is you, man or woman, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Keith. Look at the faces on those, at the screen outside of all those community group leaders. Find somebody because we have people ready to help you. Are you a high-functioning addict who denies the reality of your chemical dependence because you can work through the hangover in the morning? Do you think that you have control over it because 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and a little can-do attitude means that you don't have a debilitating chemical dependency? Do you curse the image of God every time you look in the mirror because you're comparing yourself to face-tuned images of people on social media and you somehow think because you don't look or appear like people on the internet that somehow you are less than human or not beautiful and you beat yourself up ultimately beating up the image of God in you, seeing that this is a problem, but you just can't delete the app. You just can't turn it off. And the last one, do you condemn and judge people regularly? Maybe outwardly, maybe by how you treat people inwardly, the thoughts that you have, do you regularly judge people for their decisions as somehow they don't have enough intelligence to live? And then somehow when people don't want to be around you, then blame everybody else for why you're alone and have no community and have no friendships because you regularly trample on other people and just chalk it up to them not being as wise as you. Sin is nasty. It's debilitating. It touches every single one of us. It clouds our ability to live in the light of the truth about ourselves. So to repent means that you recognize the sin in your own life and how it's affecting not just you and your relationships, but the most important relationship that will ever matter is your relationship to God. 
And when you get to that point, to cry out to God for help. The question here is, do you realize you need help? Do you realize it? And when you realize it, where will you turn for help? If you are plagued by sin, then you can't be your solution. You cannot both be the problem and solution. You need help from outside of yourself. And where does that help come from? Jesus said he came to save the sick and the needy. To receive that help, you've got to recognize he's talking about you. And to cling to him and Christ promises to forgive you. He tells you to come as you are and he'll love you despite how you are and love you and free you. So we've asked, why is repentance refreshing? Well, we've seen repentance allows you to acknowledge your problems. It allows you to recognize your need for help, but repentance doesn't just end like postcards, post confessions, whatever that was called, by just stating the problem. It doesn't end there. But godly repentance receives help, receives help. Notice in verses seven and eight, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. After this man acknowledges his need, to, need for help, through faith in Jesus, he receives help and finds complete healing, bodily and spiritually. But notice in the text what's directly related, what's married to each other. This man's movement and his worship. This miracle was a means to an end. And it was this man's greater need of spiritual salvation. Christ saved him and he literally came up and he clung to Peter and John as they went moving. He left his place and followed Jesus. This is a perfect image of what repentance is and how repentance is refreshing. This man was at one time imprisoned by his former way of life. And along came the news of Jesus and immediately, instead of ignorantly rejecting help because it wasn't what he wanted when he wanted it, he found healing in his body and soul in the person and work of Jesus he went from down and out to literally walking and leaping the whole time praising and singing God's glory. This is exactly how repentance works. Once you acknowledge your need of help, you seek Jesus for healing and transformation. You won't do it to yourself, but Christ will do it through you. Jesus's primary mission was to come and save the sick and to break his people from the power. And what you'll see throughout the New Testament is this phrase called bondage to sin. And he promises to bring about that change in our life that only he can accomplish. Now, you can fake it for a little bit. You can fake some temporary change, but lasting change 
only happens through the person and work of Jesus Christ through his spirit. And this is what Peter is calling the Jews and the Romans to in verses 19 and 20. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Peter was begging his audience, pleading with his audience to see that they got Jesus 100% wrong. And despite their evil of denying him to his face, despite that evil to turn, to come to Jesus, the result would be that they would be forgiven. That times of refreshment and refreshing would come to them and that they would receive Jesus. Every one of us here is faced with that exact same situation. Some of you here this morning, I'm glad that you're here, have never trusted in Jesus. You have never turned to Jesus. And a lot of times when I talk to people who don't trust in Jesus, like me, it's in one camp that thinks, I, I'm, I'm pretty good, I've got a handle on this thing, uh, my conscience doesn't really bother me like that, but the sad thing about not listening to your conscience is that it grows more and more calloused. And slowly you turn from a relational loving being into this uh, concrete monster who's impervious to normal feelings and emotions where you just fall and destroy all of your relationships that are around you. For others of you, it, it might be uh, that Christianity might appear silliness. It might feel like myths. It might feel like just good old tales. But I encourage you, no matter where you are on this spectrum, to pray that God would reveal himself to you. To objectively take the facts of the Bible and start to pray through that and investigate it and try to prove it wrong. And pray that God would reveal himself to you in the process. Others of you here, you believe in Jesus, but it's maybe been a while since you've experienced that shower of refreshment from repentance. You might be in relationships right now that are so beaten and trotted down because of your refusal to accept the reality of your sin and how people experience you that you don't even know what it looks like to repent any longer. You don't know what it's like to confess. I would encourage you to ask people around you, how are you experiencing me? Get vulnerable. Listen and wait for the truth to be revealed. And then start that repentant shower. I encourage you to do that. Whatever has a hold of you besides Jesus is ultimately going to restrict you and imprison you and isolate you and deteriorate you. Jesus is the one who says, you come to me exactly as you are and I will free you from your burdens. I will free you from your guilt. So church, if you are following Jesus, the question for you is, what does your repentance intervals look like? When's the last time you've repented? 
because we should be chief repenters. If it's been a while, then I, I invite you to pray that God would help you in areas of repentance that needs to happen. Text doesn't say it'll be easy. It's not gonna be uh, beautiful at the start of this, but the promise is seasons of refreshment. Steve Brown tells the story of this woman who came to him for counseling. They were sitting in his office and she said, I cheated on my husband 20 years ago and I've been carrying this secret for 20 years. You're the only person I've ever told. 20 years carrying this secret of adultery around. Steve said after they talked for a while, after they prayed for a while, he thought it was a good idea for her to tell her husband. She said, Steve, I trust you. I'm gonna trust this advice, but if this ruins my marriage, I'm blaming you. He said he prayed, God, if I gave this woman bad advice, forgive me and clean the mess up. She went home to her husband that night. She confessed her adultery and she saw Steve the next morning and Steve said, what's the difference? You look 15 years younger. She said, I took your advice, I went home and I told my husband that I had an affair 20 years ago. You know what his response was? I knew it the night it happened. And I've been waiting on you to confess so that I could tell you how much I love you. So that I could tell you that I forgive you. So that I could tell you that you are mine. Is this where you are this morning? Are you carrying around burdens and guilt and pain of your sin refusing to confess it to God, not knowing that at the cross forgiveness was found for you. Is this you this morning? I pray that you would turn to Jesus. I pray that you would allow him to begin that work of healing in you. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, and you've caused some damage in relationships, or somebody may have caused damage to you, and you're refusing to act in that, I encourage you to start the process of healing. Start the process of repentance. Trust Christ in you, because people on earth might not forgive you. That's a very real thing. That relationship may never be healed on earth, but there's a relationship much more important than anything on earth, and that's between you and God. Find healing in Christ because he will do it. Let's pray. Father, we are a people that is in desperate need of your forgiveness. Father, I pray that at Christ Church East, we would be known as the church of repenters. I pray that we would be known as a people who do not hide behind veils of secrecy, but Lord, we would trust you in living in light of freedom of your forgiveness. Would you make us bold to confess? Would you make us so trustworthy in you that we can't go another day without seeking to be at peace with one another and with you as far as it depends upon amongst ourselves? 
Father, you gave up everything in Jesus, so Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to give up our pride, our ego. Help us to give up all of these things. And when we find ourselves depleted of all, may we be filled with your spirit. Do a work in us, Jesus, for our sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.